What role do you think AI is going to play in cyber warfare? Cyber policy for many years was sort of dominated by a focus on the nation-state threat actor. Change in policy is really due to ransomware. It hasn't worked as well as I think many of us, including me, thought it would have worked. Who says tech can't be human? What is going on, everyone? Welcome back to the show. We have a great guest for you today. We have AJ Grotto. AJ is the former White House Senior Director for the Cyber Policy who served under two U.S. presidents, but now he is William J. Perry's International Security Fellow at the Cyber Policy Center and Research Fellow at the Hoover Institution, both at Stanford University. But before we get to his background and the things that he cares about, AJ, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We got to go back to the beginning because you do policy on a couple of different levels, right? You've done cyber policy, now AI policy. But before we even hopped on the podcast, you said that you don't separate cyber from AI. Could you explain why that is? Yeah, well, you know, AI is, uh, they're digital systems too. Um, and, you know, forget the hype for a moment and just recognize that, that it's IT, and uh, you know we are at risk of of kind of you know viewing it as separate, which means that we're going to create seams between the way that we manage digital risks for non AI systems and the way we manage digital risks for AI systems. There may be some differences between the two, uh, but at the end of the day, uh, my view is that we have to embed AI risk governance in uh, IT risk governance. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree with that because at the end of the day, you're right. It's technology. Technology is enabling us to do more. It's enabling us to be more connected. It's enabling us to compute much faster. And so it's like kind of like that progression. How did you go from doing uh, cyber centric policy to starting to take on more of the AI stuff as well? Well, p- partly it was my observation that, uh, that the, the debate over AI governance, how to deal with AI risks. Um, was was getting kind of cleaved away from debates around you know good old fashioned IT risk, uh, and so it, 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 for me you know having spent you know most of my career thinking about the risk of digital systems it was kind of natural to think about AI risk as an extension of 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 you know sort of conventional cyber policy. Um, mm-hmm. I, you know I'll observe like you know AI systems um, AI technologies are going to be embedded in operating alongside uh, conventional IT systems. Uh, it's not like you know, organizations are going to set up an entirely separate, um, you know, AI domain, you know, for their, right. for their AI applications. Uh, and so, you know, embedding AI in an organization's sort of core risk management um, frameworks for IT is really important and, um, and, and the way that I think organizations should be thinking about risk. And by the way, it's also, I think, the way that we should, that the government should be thinking about uh, policy as well. Absolutely. And let, let's touch on that a little bit. Right. You served under two U.S. presidents and you've had to have had a great seat for policy development over the years. Right. And now you're pushing in to the future a little bit. What's it been like, you know, seeing the the maturity of U.S. policy continuing to grow and evolve over the last several years? 
Well, you know, it's the, the biggest factor um, has not been uh, nation state attacks. It hasn't been industrial espionage. All of the, the issues that, you know, when I was in government you know, eight, nine years ago, uh, were, were the main areas of focus. Um, yeah. You know, back in those days, it was the, sort of the nation state threat actor that really animated uh, most of the debate about cyber policy. Uh, right. These days, um, it's ransomware. <laughs> you know, and if, and if, yeah. and if we're going to pinpoint, you know, one factor that has fundamentally shifted the debate in Washington and, frankly, other capitals about cyber risk, especially the role of regulation, it's ransomware. Uh, mm -hmm. Why is that the case? Well. Ransomware hits home, uh, like literally hits hits home for members of Congress, and and so they hear directly from their constituencies when hospitals, when local governments uh, are are held up uh, in ransomware attacks uh, in ways that you know the more abstract um, and, and often uh, hypothetical uh, scenarios involving nation states uh, played out, uh, and you know all politics is local, and ransomware made uh, cybersecurity local for a lot of politicians. When you look at other nations, I've been to a few different nations in my capacity as advisory CISO, and it seems like they are getting to certain places that the U.S. was five, ten years ago, right? They're just starting their policies. They're just starting legislation for cyber. Uh, where would you say the other nations are? Would you say there are some nations that are ahead the U.S. from a cyber policy perspective? Are there um, examples that we need to sort of look at is like, hey, that's the gold standard, or would you say that we're the front runner still uh, as a society? I think it depends on what what sort of slice of cyber policy we want to take. If we're talking about uh, dealing with nation state adversaries, I think we are far and away uh, the most adept. Uh, if we're talking about um, the role of, of cyber operations in statecraft, so think offensive cyber operations, I think uh, we are the best. Um, that's not to say there aren't other countries who are really, really good, um, but I, I do think we're sort of at the top of the game. Uh, when it comes to regulatory policy, I think, uh, frankly, um, we are we are not where we need to be. Um, mm -hmm. My my view is that um, we have we have conducted this experiment with um, with allowing the market to try to drive security practices and. Uh, it hasn't it hasn't worked as well as I think many of us, including me, uh, thought it would have worked or should have worked, uh, you know, going back eight or nine years. Other countries have recognized this. The European Union, for example, um, you know, has, has enacted a series of, of, of cybersecurity related laws and regulations. Um, even the Chinese have, have gone out and, and uh, enacted some pretty tough uh, cybersecurity laws. I have some some problems with, with those laws, but uh, they are they are they are acting. Um, we're, we're a little bit behind the curve. Uh, and this is you know, a point that the Biden administration made in uh, the cyber strategy that it issued in, back, in, um, back in July, it was. Um, and you know, there, there are market problems. Um, I, I'm particularly concerned about a lack of competition in many areas. Uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll point to uh, the federal government as kind of an example. You know, we, we used to say you know, in, the, in the federal government, we should eat our own dog food if we're going to yeah. you know, talk about you know what? What other organizations should be doing? We should be doing it too. Uh, you know, it's a fair, fair critique. And um, you know, in the, in the federal government, uh, I'll pick on Microsoft a little bit here. You know, Microsoft has eighty-five percent of the market share for for productivity software. Uh, it owns a virtual monopoly on 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 operating system software in the government, and that makes it really hard for the government to then negotiate on on security. Right? Microsoft wants to upsell security and. That that that's a market position that um, you know on some level I can't I can't blame Microsoft right it's a business it's in the it's in the business of making money 
Um, but yeah. it does point to some competitive challenges that um, that exist. And so I'm a big believer in competition. I'd like to see more of it. Uh, the more, the better. Give us a, a current state of affairs when it comes to AI policies. So, I mean, there's a lot of folks, you know, Elon Musk came out and said, hey, we need to put a pause on development of AI until we can get a handle on this, right? And I think a part of getting a handle on AI would have come by way of both policy, legislation, it would come by way of even some technical means in order to ensure that we don't go off the rails. Because from my perspective, AI is one of those technologies where it increase is increasing so fast that it could get out of hand very, very quickly. So where would you say we are in a state of affairs? And what are the the top fears that people have when it comes to AI and the lack of policy that's there today? So I will say, I, I, it's, it's really hard to talk about AI risk. Uh, and the reason is on the one hand, um, there are real risks, uh, no no doubt about it. On the other hand, it's easy to hype those risks. And so right. you know the, the risk reality lies somewhere in between the sort of Terminator you know, Skynet, you know, uh, yeah. depiction that you, you sometimes see, you know, including from people like Elon Musk versus the, you know, sort of the, the Jedi, there's nothing to see here. No, these aren't the droids you're looking for right. attitude you get from, from other quarters. I mean, the reality lies somewhere in between. Uh, there's no doubt the technology is powerful and, you know, and we should also bear in mind that um, there will be great societal benefits to, to the technology. I mean, think think about healthcare, for example, and you know, the ability of, of AI algorithms to, you know, b- diagnose certain diseases more effectively. This is already happening uh, in, in areas like skin cancer detection, for example. Uh, so huge, huge upside potential. So I think it's important to kind of, I think, you know, as we think about the balance sheet of risk, you know, try to try to be, uh, I try to be as, you know, sort of comprehensive as I can. Uh, having said all that, um, I, I am skeptical of there's a lot of reasons I'm skeptical of Elon Musk. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me, let me offer one on, on AI specifically. When, when I see the big players like Elon Musk and you know um, um, Brad Smith at, at Microsoft talking about you know, the need to slow down, the need for uh, you know, uh, government regulation now, uh, I can't help but wonder if there's an ulterior motive, which is that mm. if – you know the the, the 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 sense that you know that these these comments are projecting is you know this is such a big thing that you, you, only the biggest companies can be truly responsible, right? Which which has the effect, I think, of, of potentially curtailing competition. Do you feel like there, if you were going to take a, a realistic view of AI today and where we're at with policy, do you feel like we're on on schedule with the policy that needs to be created? Would you say we're a little early, or would you say that we're ahead of the game? I think uh, as far as the U.S. goes, uh, I think we are actually in pretty good shape. Um, mm-hmm. I think what we're seeing right now are uh, agencies within the federal government that have a specific regulatory responsibility uh, pursuing uh, and, and, and examining AI in the context of their specific sector. When you think about your journey so far, right, Take us a, a little bit to the beginning of when you first got into policy. What did you think you were going to be doing? And then what did the reality end up looking like for you once you got there? So I, so I started actually my career uh, thinking I would be an international trade uh, law professor, um, something completely different than, than what I'm doing now in many ways. In other ways, it's full circle because trade issues are, are, are a big deal now in cybersecurity and digital issues generally. Uh, but I, yeah, that was my ambition coming out of out of law school some twenty years ago. Um, I ended up working at a think tank um, where, by some t- 
twists and turns of fate ended up um, focusing on nuclear weapons issues. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I, won't, I won't belabor the story of how, how it went from trade to nuclear issues, but it happened. And around 2008, um, you know, I was thinking, you know, it's sort of time for me to move on from the think tank. I was looking at um, the, the upcoming election, the presidential election. Uh, I was a big fan of, of, of then candidate Barack Obama. I worked on his campaign and was thinking, you know, may, maybe it's time, you know, for me to, to make a shift into uh, policy as opposed to thinking about policy, maybe, maybe go into, you know, doing policy. Right. And I, I got to think about, you know, okay, what, you know, nuclear weapons issue is really important, right? Uh, obviously, um, you know, big, big high stakes, but um, I, frankly, I was getting kind of bored with it. And uh, there, there are a lot of people working on those issues. Uh, so there's a lot of competition. And as I'm thinking about all this, you know, what, God, what, what can I do? And what can I do? What, what's a policy area that I can jump into where I could have some impact early on? Um, I get an email purporting to be from my boss at the time. Um, asking me to read a report on Russian nuclear forces. And I could tell from the tone of the email that my boss didn't send me this email. And sure enough, it was an effort by the PLA, the, the People's Liberation Army of China, uh, to hack into my think tank uh, with, with, yeah. a, with, a, with a spear phishing <laughs> email. And that was a moment where I was like, oh, wow, cyber. <laughs> I should, I should, you know, here's what I, here's where I should go. And so that was, that's, you know, that's the origin. It seems like from my perspective, there's always been kind of like mixed reactions to policy. Some people are like, oh, more rules. Here we go. And then some people are saying, oh, thank goodness, there's some structure that we can now lean on when it comes to certain things. What would you say people get wrong most often about policy when it comes to cyber and even AI? Well, I think po po making policy is really messy. Um, it's, it's a complex process. It can be easy to think that it's rational in the sense that, uh, you know, that we, we set goals we work carefully backwards uh, using data uh, to craft the optimal policy. Uh, that that seldom happens, uh, partly because uh, people disagree on facts often. <laughs> Challenging as that may be to get your head around, people do disagree on facts sometimes. Um, more often, people disagree on how to uh, weigh different competing interests, um, and so you end up having to compromise, and you and and so policy ends up being being this this compromise and. Uh, and that's just that's just the nature of the beast in a democracy. Certainly, cyber policy, as I as I said at the top, you know, for many years was sort of dominated by a focus on the nation state threat actor, right? Mm -hmm. Change in policy is really due to ransomware, um, which yeah. someone would have been hard pressed to predict in two thousand and nine when I first got into. Into this we have some news to share with you, a member of the Hacker Valley Media family. As of 2023, we became a full-time independent cybersecurity media company, and we're committed to bringing you the most powerful, thought-provoking stories in the field of cybersecurity. And we learned we can't do it alone. We'd love to invite you to our exclusive Patreon community, where we host a monthly mastermind where you can meet like-minded individuals in the field of cybersecurity that are trying to be more creative and be the best version of themselves that they can be. We would love if you took a second and visited patreon.com forward slash Hacker Valley Studio, and we'll see you in the mastermind. Do you have a story of uh, an impact or some uh, piece of legislation or policy that you were either a part of or help lead that, that means the most to you? Do you have a story about that? Yeah, I, I've been fortunate that I, I've had a bunch of opportunities to contribute. I worked in Capitol Hill. I worked in the U.S. Senate. Um, 
on the, on the, the select committee on intelligence earlier in my career, um, where my job was to oversee uh, the budget and operations of the National Security Agency, as well as cyber activities across the intelligence community. I was the main drafter of, of the legislation that, that President uh, Obama ended up signing in 2015 uh, that created the information sharing environment for cyber threat information, mm. uh, kind of f- provided the legal framework for it. Working in the Trump administration, um, you know, in my same position, senior director for cyber policy, and we we had the opportunity to uh, put forward an executive order on cybersecurity that, um, in many ways, was a continuation of what I of, of some of the really good work that I thought we had we had we had kind of unfinished in the Obama administration. And so I was, I was, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm pretty proud of you know the fact that we were able to get that done in a, in a you know in a difficult uh, political environment. Uh, all presidential transitions are messy, regardless, right. you know, of, 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 but that one was, was especially messy. And so the fact that we were able to, you know, to get that done, get that out um, and have it be sensible and, 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 and um, you know, uh, under some difficult, difficult circumstances was, was you know, was, was a, a big plus for me. And I, and I give a lot of credit to Tom Bostard, who was uh, Trump's first Homeland Security Advisor. Uh, mm-hmm. For um, for having the, the confidence in me to, to sort of lead that process, uh, despite my you know from from his perspective dubious political uh, leanings. Did you have to deal at all with uh, policy around uh, the voting periods, like the voting uh, situations? Did you have to deal with that a lot? Yeah. So uh, my office was the point office at the White House on election security in 2016. Mm-hmm. So we learned a lot more about Russian interference after the fact. Um, you know, and and uh, I, I wish we had known that um, in t- 2016. I think we might have um, we might have proceeded differently with with our with our policies. Um, but you have to remember that you know the, the the conventional wisdom in Washington, and frankly, you know, I mean, everywhere in the world, even the Trump campaign was that Hillary Clinton was going to win the election, and you know, so there was a, there was an assumption um, that um, we would get our we would get a you know we would get a an opportunity to, to, to teach the Russians a lesson um, in, in a Clinton administration mm-hmm. uh, and that taking action at the end of the Obama administration against Russia would be perceived as political, uh, which, which, you know, president was very, you know, um, just didn't want to do, right. He was very concerned about upholding the integrity of the election and, and not, you right. know, um, creating circumstances that, that uh, could be perceived as, as him using his office for political uh, purposes. Uh, so we showed a lot of restraint, um, but that restraint, I think, was based in large part on an assumption that you know, Hillary would win and there'd be an opportunity to, to sort of, again, teach the Russians a lesson um, after, mm-hmm. after the election. That didn't come to pass. Now that you're you know, really focused at, at Stanford, uh, what has your work been wrapped around these days? What has been the, the major focal point for you? Um, I'm, I'm interested in is how how ready critical infrastructure around U.S. military installations is. So imagine, you know, a contingency with, with China over Taiwan. You know, Ch- China attacks, China invades Taiwan, uh, and, you know, we want to come to Taiwan's defense. Um, China knows that part of its chances of prevailing uh, depend on slowing us down, slowing down our ability to surge, you know, people and, and, and equipment into the region. We have military bases around the country that that have people and equipment. We push that out, um, and Chinese are going to want to slow that down. And how will they slow it down? Well, through cyber attacks, right? Um, on on mm-hmm. power, on fuel supplies, on, on ports. Basically, just to throw as much sand in the gears of the U.S. military's logistics machine as possible to slow us down. Right. And so, I'm interested in you know how 
uh, how cognizant is critical infrastructure of this risk? Uh, do they factor it into their um, risk resilience planning? Uh, and if not, you know, what's the answer? Um, you know, I suspect uh, my, my, my hypothesis, you know, uh, is that we are going to see some gaps to private critical infrastructure standing up to the Chinese uh, nation state. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, that's a hypothesis. I haven't, I haven't, I, I got to go out and gather the data and do the analysis to confirm whether it's true or not. I hope it's not true, um, but right. um, that's my hypothesis. What role do you think AI is going to play in cyber warfare? Huge role, huge role. And, um, I, you know, I think we'll see it in terms of both defense and offense. Mm-hmm. We already see um, defenders, you know, using, uh, you know, um, chat, you know, large language models to generate um, code, yeah. uh, commodity code that, that might have taken an analyst, you know, or a coder or developer, you know, some time to do can now be done instantly. Um, yeah. Now, of course, you know, it's no substitute for having you know skilled developers because um, a skilled developers got to check that code and make sure that that the the large language model didn't hallucinate, <laughs> which is always yeah. you know always a risk. So I think we'll see you know those uh, on the defensive side, um, you know, improvements, um, and also it's sort of you know some of the pattern recognition uh, capabilities that AI brings to the table uh, can can mm-hmm. help uh, you know spot anomalies in traffic and, and behavior. Uh, within systems that that could point to cyber threat actors, and then on the offensive side, you know, you see the same kind of you know the same kind of thing, right? You see adversaries using AI to uh, craft phishing emails, mm-hmm. uh, more engaging phishing emails. We'll see um, threat actors uh, using AI to um, try to identify uh, you know sort of large patterns in, you know in in systems that they could exploit, um, uh, and 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 develop uh, malicious code as well. Um, through 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 large language models, so I, I think we'll see often, but both offense and defense uh, affected pretty significantly by uh, by AI. I agree, hundred percent. Obviously, it seems like throughout your career, you've been really blazing a path for policy on the cyber and the AI side, just technology in general. And there are going to be more people that follow in your footsteps. For anybody that's looking to get into policy, that looking looking to make a difference in the world and their 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 country. What is that one piece of advice that you'd have for anybody looking to get into policy at that level? Don't, don't be an a-hole. <laughs> it's just my, my, yeah. my, my, my biggest piece of advice, right? Because um, reputations matter, especially in policy where um, you're, you're, you know, you're going to be negotiating with people. You're going to be, uh, you know, you, you have to learn how to communicate and deal with people. And uh, you know, you don't want to get a reputation for being um, a jerk. <laughs> yep. You could be difficult, right? Being, being a, you know, there's a difference between being a tough negotiator, you know, being 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 a shrewd um, analyst and an operator versus being a jerk. Mm-hmm. Um, and reputations travel. Um, and I, I have found, you know, in, in you know the 20 years that I've been active, um, you know, it's a small world, man. I mean, it's a small mm-hmm. world, and your reputation follows you around. And if people view you as someone who's good to work with, man, I mean, that's that's worth its weight in gold. 100%. That's perfect. Great advice. AJ, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics. Uh, if anybody's curious about AJ, what he's doing, all that stuff, we are going to drop those links, including the links of the organizations that he works with today. And with that, we will see everyone next time. <laughs>